Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. This is our big picture parenting teaching series. Wrapping it up this weekend, we're only doing a three-part. We took a break from our Luke series, so we'll be returning to our Luke series next week. Remember that one, Certainty in a World of Doubt. We'll pick up our study in Luke in chapter 16, so you might want to read that in advance this next week. But big picture parenting, 15 foundational principles. This is part three, character. Now, in this series... Uh, for the three weeks we've been studying in parenting, we are really learning how God parents us and how we can impact the next generation. This is every adult Christian's responsibility. All of us, this series has been for every one of us, and uh, so it's been an important series here for us. There was a funny thing that happened in uh, Darlington, Maryland, several years ago. Edith, the mother of eight, was coming home from a neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon. Things seemed too quiet as she walked across her front yard. Curious, she peered through the screen door and saw five of her youngest children huddled together, concentrating on something. As she crept closer to them, trying to discover the center of attention, she could not believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of the circle were five baby skunks. Edith screamed at the top of her voice, quick, children, run. Each kid grabbed a skunk and ran. <laughs> now, now, some days are like that, aren't they? Aren't some days like that when it comes to parenting? And you think you have plenty of problems as it is, and then you try to deal with them, and when you do, they multiply. Take a look at your sermon notes. This was a principle that I learned years ago. It was revolutionary for me. I know it will be revolutionary for you too. It's the first point there. It, it is not what happens to me. This is part of the intro. It is not what happens to me, my circumstances, but what happens in me, my character that either makes me or breaks me in life. I, I want to think just... Pause just for a minute. That's really, really important. And it was so revolutionary for me because I tended to be very circumstance kind of directed and driven. And uh, I, needed, I needed to know, wait, 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 it's not my circumstances. It's not what happens to me. My circumstances that makes or breaks me, it's, it's my response to my circumstances. It's my character that makes me or breaks me in life. Character is about spiritual maturity. It's about Christ's likeness. And in fact, Here's a bit of a, a challenging and maybe somewhat of a convicting verse. I've paraphrased it. It's from uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 6:40. A student's character or a child's character becomes like his teacher or like his parent. And so that's what we've been looking at three weeks, really focusing in on that. So let me give you a, a, the series summary here. It, it's, it's God's amazing grace. That was week one. God's amazing grace, week one, that transforms our heart. That was week two and produces godly character. That's week three. If you were not with us for the first two weeks, go online, listen to those. Uh, I, think, I think they're really critical for all of us. Whether you're a parent or not, you need to listen to those, and um, I think it'll really change your life, and maybe it'll help you to see how God parents us. That's what we want to learn first and foremost, and then out of that, we begin to make an impact in the next generation. So listen to those. Today, we're talking about character. Before we take a look at these notes, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray once again. So God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence, and 
and we know that you have completed the work of our justification, our being declared righteous before you, made possible by your son's death and resurrection for us. And you have begun the work of our sanctification, our gradual growing righteousness, our maturity and our character made possible by the Spirit's work in us. And so we pray this morning through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, help us, help us to trust that you will carry us through to completion. Teach us how your amazing grace transforms our hearts and produces, produces godly character in both our lives and in the lives of the next generation you have called us to impact and influence. Transform us day by day into your likeness. Conform us more and more into your ways according to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name and everyone said, amen. So here's your first one. This is so 15, we've already, we did the first uh, 10 in the first two weeks. This is number 11. Not all the wrong your children do is a direct rebellion to authority. Much of the wrong is the result of a lack of character. Much of the wrong is a lack of character. So not all the wrong your children do is a, is a, a direct rebellion to authority. We talked about that last weekend about authority. Much of the wrong is the result of a lack of character. I got some verses here, Romans 1, 25. You've probably heard me quote that quite often. I quote it from more of the NIV. This is the ESV. We'll read it in a moment. And then we'll also read Romans 1, 28 through 32. This is how I typically quote it. And, and this is what's fundamentally wrong with all of us is that we tend to do this as part of our sinful nature. We tend to exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. Let me read it from the ESV. Because they exchanged the truth, by the way, the truth there is a biblical worldview. And seeing all of life from God's perspective and responding to life from God's perspective. So they exchanged this truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than the creature who is blessed forevermore. So, so what it's saying is that we tend to find that so there's something in creation that's more desirable and more satisfying to us than, than the creator. That's the big battle in all of our hearts and by the way, when we do that, that creates this spiritual alienation us, between us and God, then therefore creating turmoil inside of us, a psychological alienation, and then of course social alienation. He spells this out for us, starting in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, the word acknowledge there means intimacy with God or precise and correct knowledge. It's more than intellectual, it's, it's existential, it's, it's an experience of God, so it would be a relationship with God. So since they did not see fit to have a relationship with God, God gave them up to the, their debased mind, to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips and slanders and haters of God and insolent and haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So you can see the root of all of this. We, we can see that. I mean, look around in our world today. We see all of that. And he's saying, well, the root is that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We worship and serve created things more than the creator. That's the root of all of that, verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In other words, they, they applaud that in others. We see sin celebrated in our culture today. Now, we need to define the word character here. And so let me give you a definition of character. Um, so it's not all the... It, 
it's not all the wrong in your children is a direct, it's directly due to their rebellion to authority, but it's actually their lack of character, as we've said. So character is, is behavior, it's your behavior, so your response to the circumstances of life or what's happening to you. So it's, uh, character is behavior motivated by choices based on godly values. That would be character. That would be uh, character. By the way, you, you're gonna want a set of notes because my sub-ideas, my thoughts are on those notes, what I'm talking about here. They're, they're not filling the blanks, but I just wanted to expound on each of these points. So we got five, five principles we're looking at, and then I've got some sub-ideas to help us to understand uh, these principles and apply them to our lives this morning. And so character is behavior, so my behavior is motivated by choices. I'm gonna make some choices based on godly values. So therefore, a lack of character would be someone's behavior is motivated really uh, more by their, their feelings or their circumstances based on maybe uh, ungodly values or their feelings or any number of things. So I think the best way to really understand the difference between character and maybe a lack of character or weak character is uh, the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. You guys know the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the difference between a thermostat, thermometer. Thermostat, thermometer, real quick. Okay, so you guys, did you guys get that? So a, so a thermostat would be proactive. Thermostat is proactive to where a thermometer is reactive. So a, so a thermometer reacts to the atmosphere, to the weather, to what's going on around. It goes up and down based on, this, based on the circumstances, we could say. But a thermostat kind of brings its own set of circumstances. Regardless of what's going down, you're going to respond in a way that would be consistent with God's word. You're going to see all of life uh, through those kind of glasses, that biblical worldview. It was a number of years ago, uh, my kids were in high school. Um, my oldest, Russ, uh, had worked real hard to get his grades up. He desperately wanted to get on, uh, do, a, do a team sport. He needed to get his grades up, so he got his grades up, and he was all happy for that, but then he tried out for a particular team, a particular sport, he got cut. So he said, oh, no big deal, I'll try out for another one. He tried another one, got cut. So he said, no big deal, I'll try another one. He tried the third one, got cut. I, picked, I was going to go pick him up at school, and I'm thinking, oh, gee, this is devastating. What's he going to do? How can I encourage him? I've got to console him some way. God, help me. Give me the words for him. So I pick him up, and I'm like, okay, how can I help him? Because I know he's going to really be not doing so well after all of that, all of that hard work. So he's in the car. We're heading back home. I say, Russell, how you doing? I'm doing fine. No, no, really, tell me how you're doing. No, I'm doing really great, Dad. It's like, no, no, really, tell me. Uh, you're, not, you're not like, you're not bothered by this at all? No, are you kidding? Romans 8, 28, God's got me taken care of. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, this kid's getting it and I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? I'm there to console him. He consoled me. I was more freaked out about all of this that he, that he was experiencing than he was. He wasn't at all. And so, and we had been teaching our kids, hey, it's not the circumstances, it's your character. You gotta make choices that are consistent with your values, God's word, 
God's word carries weight in our lives. And therefore, when we, when we look at our circumstances, we gotta begin to remember what is God about and who, who is he? That God, if God's for you, who can be against you? He's gonna take care of you. And so they had been learning that and he showed that. And, and, and I, I learned it too, okay? <laughs> I needed to learn it also. And so this idea between being proactive or reactive, all of us as we face the circumstances of life, you're gonna either be proactive or reactive. And, and reactive people tend to have a victim mentality. They tend to have a victim mentality. They tend to throw themselves, they go into self-pity. They tend to be bitter. Because I mean, hey, life's not going well for me. Things should be going better than this. They're mad, so that's very reactive. It's not proactive, very reactive. There's a lot of blame shifting. There's even escapism. They, they, they have a tendency to be a, have an addictive behavior. They tend to medicate because life is painful. So I'm gonna medicate this. I'm gonna deal with it in some way. So very much an addictive behavior. They're very depressed, a lot of despair. They tend to be quitters. They tend to not have that perseverance. They kind of give up on things because, because I mean, let's, let's face it, if your life is based on your circumstances, the highs and lows of circumstances, oh my goodness, that's a wild, crazy roller coaster ride. That's not a good way to live. And uh, so character is a worship issue. So when you think of character, it is a worship issue. It's, it's really about what has my deepest loyalties and affections or what are, where are my deepest desires? What's most important to me? That's what worship is. Desire for even a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. So if you take a good thing such as your marriage, your kids, your career, or athleticism, or beauty, or brains, or any number of those things, you build your sense of identity on those things, you're on a wild roller coaster ride based on how well those things are doing. Worship realignment is the key to character change. And so what, what you need to do for yourself, you also need to do for your children, what we wanna do for the children here of this church, is to help them to understand and own what rules their heart because what rules their heart shapes how they respond to people, things, and circumstances. So they need to be aware. Our children need to be helped in understanding what's ruling my heart because that's what ultimately rules and shapes my life and my response to life, people, things, and circumstances. We, we taught our kids and tried to teach our kids uh, Bible stories growing up, and we tried to help them to have this biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is really just a, it's wisdom. There's wisdom literature in the Bible, but the whole Bible is a book of wisdom, and wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. That would be the definition of wisdom. And so as we taught our kids this biblical worldview, I'll never forget this, our three-and-a-half-year-old son, Ryan, came running into the house crying, eyes filled with dirt and sand, and he said, Russell, put dirt in my eyes. Russell was five years old. And we're like, what in the world? This is crazy. What is he doing? So we ran outside and said, Russ, what's going on? Did you put dirt in Ryan's eyes? And Russell says, yeah. I was pretending to be Jesus, and he was the blind man. <laughs> That's not the biblical worldview we had in mind. Okay. So, so the biblical worldview is what, is, what is this idea of having a biblical worldview? Biblical worldview is asking the questions such as, who's God? Who's God? What has he done for us? 
Who am I in light of that? And then how should I respond to my current circumstances because of what I know about who I am in light of all of who God is and what he's done for me. Does that make sense? That's a biblical worldview. You're beginning to think through it. So if you find yourself inordinately angry or, or depressed or bitter, you've got to walk it back. There, there's something wrong with your biblical worldview. You're forgetting that God's for you and not against you. You've got to walk that back into, well, who are you? Are you a child of God? What does that mean? What are the implications there? What has he done for you? He gave his life for me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Bam, that's right. That's awesome. And that's the God of the galaxies. He's with you. He's for you. So what you have to do is you have to begin to pray that the Holy Spirit will make that real to your heart. You begin to grab a hold of scriptures and meditate on them and ask God, God, make this real. Help me to understand that. Help me to have this biblical worldview begin to shape my life so that I can begin to respond to circumstances appropriately. So character is not just a biblical worldview, but it's also intimacy with God. It's also having an intimate relationship with God. Uh, I've got, uh, Nancy and I have nine grandchildren, and uh, two, <laughs> I, I, it cracks me up because two of them think that they're getting away with eating chocolates off of the bowl from the coffee table. They're kind of, they sneak around. The others ask, okay? But these two, it's, it's Nolan and uh, Juliet. And so they sneak around and eat chocolate off the coffee table, and then you go in there and say, hey, have you been eating chocolate? And they're like, no. <laughs> but the chocolate ring on their face betrays them, okay? So anytime you got chocolate on your face and you're telling me no, guess what? You've been eating chocolate, I could tell. And we kind of discovered this was that we started finding wrappers uh, up underneath the coffee table. <laughs> and then we found them kind of hidden. Also, uh, we found wrappers kind of hidden in the corner. And there's a few times little Nolan was hiding, hiding over in the corner. He go, what are you doing back there in the corner? <laughs> Nothing. And so aren't we like that with God? You know, listen, grandma and grandpa know what's going on. But even more so, does God know what's going on in our lives? And uh, character is who you are when no one is looking. Character is who you are when no one is looking. How would you live, how would you speak, how would you act differently if you remembered that the Lord God was always observing you? So that's intimacy with God is what we're talking about here. Genesis 16, 13 says God is, in that God is called the one who sees. Genesis 16, 13, the one who sees. So the more you remember that God hears and sees everything in, in all of life, so the more you remember that God hears and sees everything and all of life is lived before the face of God, the more it will infuse your daily life with comfort and accountability to live according to his values. That's character. Now think about that. If you're not experiencing that as an accountability that God always knows and sees, it's not gonna comfort you when you go through difficulties. If it's not comforting you through difficulties, it's not gonna hold you accountable. Those work together. So when you cultivate this intimacy with God, all of life is before the face of God. I have a relationship with God. I, in fact, that's what I, I love the most about the Christian life is intimacy with God, is having a relationship with him. He's always there. He's with me. He loves me. I have a relationship with him. So, so to the degree that it comforts you is to the degree it will hold you accountable. To the degree it holds you accountable is to the degree that it comforts you. You guys tracking with me? I mean, that's really important to understand. 
And it really goes back down to, do you actually believe that? And so that's, that's the first one, that's character. So character, so let's, let's sum it up, just that first point. So character is, is intimacy with God and responding to life from a biblical worldview. That would be character, regardless of what's going on in your life. Number 12, you are parenting a worshiper, so it's important to remember that what rules your child's heart will control his behavior. So you are parenting a worshiper, so we're all worshipers by nature. And so you are parenting a worshiper, so it's important to remember that what rules your child's heart will control his behavior. Two verses here, we'll read them aloud and together. These are important verses up on the big screen here. Here we go. I think they're going to be up on the big screen here. Right there. There we are. Are you guys ready? One, two, three. Nice and loud. You shall have no other gods before me. That's Exodus 23. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. Notice he doesn't give us a third option. What do you mean third option? Well, there's only two options here. You're either going to serve the one true and living God or you're going to have a counterfeit God, which is evidence to me that we were creating the image of God to have relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you're going to put something else at the center of your life. You can't help but give your heart's deepest loyalties and affections to something or someone. If you don't give it to God, you're going to give it to something else or someone else. And so that's why he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Here's the next verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Let's read it together and aloud. Here we go. One, two, three. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is pretty serious stuff. Idolatry is loving anything more than we love God. It's loving anything more than we love God. See, that's what's fundamentally wrong with us is that we struggle. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the creator we tend to build our sense of identity, our security, our significance, all of that on something that's, that's temporary, it's fleeting, it's something that's in the created realm as opposed to the creator and having a good solid foundation for our lives. We all give our hearts to the one true God or to some created God replacement. Worship is about where we look for life, satisfaction, contentment, identity, belonging, meaning, and purpose. What our children need is what we need as parents, divine insight. You need to have divine insight into your idolatry. I had to be able to come to you if you've been walking with Christ for pretty much any length of time, be able to identify what are those things in your life or people in your life that compete for your heart's deepest loyalties and affections. What do you love more than Christ? What are those things that, that tend to compete for your heart? What do you daydream about? What captures your heart's imagination? Those are important questions. So what our children need, what we need as parents is divine insight, divine conviction, and then divine commitment to change at the heart level. This whole series has been based on the book by uh, David Paul Tripp, Parenting and uh, he tells a story here that I think that we can all maybe relate to. You decide to take your son to Toys R Us. Don't go there. The devil is in that place. <laughs> you have been there before, and you know all the temptations that will greet your son. So you put him in the cart, and you go down the center of the aisle so his little arms can't reach all the things he would like to grab and take home. <laughs> So you eventually get to that final checkout aisle, which is designed to be a conspiracy against your parenting. 
Located in that narrow aisle are those 695, 795 blister-wrapped items. They're deliberately positioned right where your son can see them and touch them. So your son says, Mommy, I want one of those. You say, Johnny, Mommy is not going to buy you anything else. Johnny immediately says, But Mommy, it's a Captain X Bongo figure, and I don't have any of those. You say a little more sternly, Johnny, (laughs) Mommy has said that she is not going to buy you anything else. But Mommy, Johnny whines, Billy has all of them. He even has the PlayStation. I'm the only boy I know that has to go to someone else's house to even hold a bongo figure. Mommy, if you get this for me, I promise, I promise, I will never, ever ask for anything again. (laughs) Uh, Sounds like you. And me. Yeah. Now with a bit of frustration in your voice, you say, Johnny... Mommy is not going to buy you anything else. Mommy bought you a puzzle. That's a lame, that's a lame gift, isn't it? He didn't write that there. I'm saying that. Just like, what? A puzzle? It's like giving a kid a book, you know? It's like, you're going to get a book. That's what you're going to get. Mommy bought you a puzzle, and that's all you're going to get today. At that point, Johnny begins to scream as if he had, as as, as if you had physically hurt him. Um, It is very embarrassing. You can feel all the people around you staring at you. It's one of those moments when you wish you had a button you could press that would open a trap door to an underground tube to your house. You just want to get out of there as fast as possible. Now, now what's going on in this little guy's heart? Well, he goes on and talks about it, and I think it's really helpful. What little Johnny actually wants is to be God. He wants to be the one who stands in the center of his world and rules it. He wants to think, and it will happen. He wants to speak, and it will be done. He wants what he wants when he wants it. He doesn't ever want to be told no. He doesn't want anyone to stand in his way. Why? Because Johnny instinctively puts himself in God's position. By the way, that's the essence of sin. We put ourselves in God's position. God's place. He instinctively makes life all about him. Johnny has a problem with his mom's authority because he has a problem with God's authority. Now, let me read the point here. So, point number 12. You're parenting a worshiper, so it's important to remember that what rules your child's heart will control his behavior. Listen to this. If your child looks for identity in material possessions, they will be all too focused on physical things and materialistic in their approach to life. If they look to people to give them life, they will be a slave to the opinions of others and work too hard to please them. If they look to get uh, their inner sense of well-being from being in control, they will resist your authority as a parent and want and want to, uh, to write their own rules. If they put themselves in God's position, they will be entitled, demanding, complaining, needlessly competitive and proud. So, so here's the question. So not only do we need to be able to identify our own idols, but we need to help our kids in time identify their idols. How do you do that? Help, how do you help your child identify what's, what's ruling their heart? You've gotta help them develop 
a self-awareness about the internal motivation of their life, why they do what they do. You've got to ask those kind of questions and try to get down to the root of that. You have to get good, not only as a parent, as a person, as an adult, of, uh, of self-assessment. Why do I want that so badly? Why does that dominate my thoughts? What, what moves me in that direction? And, and so those are good questions. We want to help our children do the same. Number 13, the goal of parenting is not control of behavior, but rather heart and life change. So it's not behavioral modification, but heart transformation. So uh, this next verse you're probably familiar with. Maybe you've memorized it. A lot of people misinterpret this verse. It's Proverbs 22.6. You guys ready to read it nice and loud? Here we go. One, two, three. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I've heard a lot of people use this as a promise. This is not a promise. It's a proverb. It's a probability. You have a higher degree of success if you train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've actually heard uh, people say, well, that's, that's saying that if, you, if a kid's raised in a godly home, he'll always come back. Well, that's not what that's saying, actually. And that doesn't violate the free moral agency. You can, you can have a completely godly home, a good home, uh, an unbelievable home for your child, and they can still go south, even against what you've taught them, and break your heart. And you just pray to God that, they, that they'll come to faith in Christ. That's, that's what you need to do. But it's interesting, the word trained here means both love and limits, relationship and rules. So it's a combination, and you want to do that. So you're creating this atmosphere of love and limits, train up a child in the way that he should go, that which is consistent with what God uh, teaches us and according to the patterns that God has, because there are certain patterns that are developed in our kids. Let me give you one that would be kind of more of a negative pattern in a child. Uh, for instance, a little guy who, gets, uh, who got yelled at and knocked around by his father grows up and doesn't know any other way, so he gets married, has children, and so he yells and knocks around his children. I mean, he doesn't, doesn't even know what he's doing. He doesn't understand the anger inside of him, and he has never, never been able to resolve it. So he takes the broken baton that has been given to him and he passes it on to his children who will probably pass it on to their children. It's called a homing instinct. Like birds and fish, they have a homing instinct. We, in a, in a sense, do too. So there's certain patterns. If we're, if we're raised in a certain kind of home, we tend to go back to that which is most familiar to us, even if it's dysfunctional. We don't know any better until we do kind of personal assessment and we come in contact with God's word and we realize, hey, wait a minute, this is what healthiness looks like. This is what a healthy person looks like. This is what it means to, to be whole. Oh my goodness, my life is messed up. I mean, if you look at the lives of people, why would certain people, you know, certain people go into bad relationships over and over again? What's going on there? There's something broken inside of them. Why do they keep picking people that are jerks? And, and then you realize, well, they were raised by a jerk, you know, or whatever it was. There were certain patterns. That's what it means. That's why it's so, so strong. So train up a child in the way that he should go based on God's word because we're going to be trained in some sort of direction. We're being shaped as youngsters in a certain direction, and we tend to carry that on from generation to generation. So where does this cycle end? 
Who's going to be courageous enough to acknowledge that you have received a broken baton and say, I'm, I'm going to fix this thing before I pass it on to my children? See, our tendency will be to parent as we have been parented. But we should parent as God parents us with grace and truth. And that's why I said in this series, this could be a good reparenting for, for many of us. Now, I want you to evaluate how your parents parented you to see where they might fit into one of these four categories. Let me give you four categories. There's, it's not on your notes, but I think you'll be able to track with this, be able to follow us. There's the dominant parent, the neglectful parent, the permissive parent, and the balanced parent. And, and it really has to do with how you balance out both, both grace and truth, or love and limits, or relationship and rules. And so the dominant parent is low on love, low on warmth, and support, but high on limits, controlling and demanding. Does that make sense? You guys all tracking with me? So just shake your head like this. If you Go like this. If, if not, just go like this. No, no, or yes, or some of you aren't even shaking your head. Go ahead and punch the person next to you <laughs> just to make sure they're awake. I don't see any eyes rolled back into your head yet, but uh, so, so a dominant parent is low on love but high on limits. Does that make sense? Thank you. Just going just appease the guy up there. Good night. Yes, okay. You see that? Okay. Dominant parent is low on love, high on limits. It might sound something like this. I've told you a hundred times, no. I don't have to give you reasons. I'm your parent. You're gonna do it whether you like it or not. That would be a dominant parent, okay? That's evidence of that. The neglectful parent is low on love and limits, low on love and limits. This would be the parent that uses a lot of babysitters, very little participation in your child's life. Don't bug me. I don't have time. You keep the kid preoccupied with his electronic devices or whatever. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but if that's all they're ever doing, yee, that's wrong. And that would be the neglectful parent. Then you've got the permissive parent. The permissive parent is high on love, but low on limits. High on love, but low on limits. These kids grow up not realizing that life has order and limits and are therefore disciplined by life later on in life through chronic relational breakdown, getting fired from jobs, getting arrested, any number of things. And then you've got the balanced parent is high on love and limits. That's where you want to be. High on love and limits. In the context of affection and affirmation, there is accountability and authority. And so confrontation is a sign of love. It shows you care. That's the balanced one. So I give you a whole list of what our responsibilities are to the next generation. Your children need guidance, protection, instruction, wisdom, authority, rules, structure, preparation, understanding, confrontation, discipline, warning, love, forgiveness, and security. I gave you all the verses there for it also. Woo, that's overwhelming. Yes, it is. You should be overwhelmed. You should be very overwhelmed by what our responsibility is. But by the way, let me remind you that I've said this the last two weeks, you're not the owner. You're not the owner, but the manager. These kids aren't yours. They belong to God. Some of you are saying, whoo, boy, am I thankful for that. <laughs> Praise God. I'm gonna write that one down. You're not my kids, you're God's. And he's gonna get you, okay, no. Woo. 
Every child's deeper need, and I base this on Psalm 51. This is David's repentant psalm. Every child's deeper need is to see their sinful nature, to see their sinful nature problem that causes their behavior problems. So their sinful nature problem causes their behavior problems, and their only hope is in the forgiving, redeeming, and regenerating grace of God. So I'm more sinful and more loved at the same time. They need to have that combination. So your children need to know the gravity of what they have done and the seriousness of the condition of their heart that causes them to sin. If you saw the news this last week, Hugh Hefner died at age 91. I, I tremble at what awaited him. And what our children need to know that all the girl's golden glory that he said he enjoyed is nothing, is nothing compared to enjoying the riches of God's glory. So there's a tendency in our life. I don't even think Hugh Hefner even knew what intimacy with a, with a woman was all about. And, and nor did he ever come to the place of discovering the satisfaction the depth of satisfaction in intimacy in a marriage relationship that only God can give and it can't be found out there by sexual promiscuity. I mean, I guess the question would be, was he satisfied sexually? Now, he might say he was, and I don't think it was the girls or the gold that drove his life. I, some of the studies that I saw and I saw some interviews with him, I think it was the glory of this uh, of his empire, the Playboy empire. I think that's it, because he was a workaholic. By the way, he was raised in a, in, in a Methodist home. What I was told, it was a pretty solid home for the most part, but he just kind of went, went the other way and made some choices. And, and all I'm saying, all I'm saying is that, um, in fact, Mark 8.36, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. So you can't break God's laws, you only break yourself against his laws. And, and, and at the same time, at the same time, there's no, no sin that we have committed and no sin that's been committed against us is a match for God's redeeming, restoring grace. That's what our kids need to know. Sin isn't just breaking some arbitrary, random, illogical set of rules. God's laws are meant to protect us from the worst and provide the very best for us. He has your best interest at heart. You're not gonna find satisfaction out there with all the girls' golden glory. That's not where it's found. And if you think that, you are being deceived. And maybe you've never tasted of the riches of the glory of God and what he has in store for us. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. Sin is, is doubting the goodness and the greatness of God. Sin is trampling on the love and the wisdom of God. Sin is breaking the breaking of the very heart of God. Sin is saying to God, you're not that loving and you're not that wise. That's what sin is. I know better. You're holding out on me. And so, but in the midst of our sinfulness, so our kids need to see this, we need to see this, in the midst of our sin, sinfulness, while we were yet sinners, <laughs> Christ died for me. 
He rescued me. He loves me, Romans 5 eight. And the more I understand that, to whom much is, whoever's forgiven much does what? Loves much, yeah. I, I wrote this down, Luke 7.47. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. So when we see our sinfulness, so our dire condition plus the magnitude of his provision, oh my goodness, unspeakable glorious joy. Now number 14, it is only rest in God's presence and grace that will make you a joyful and patient parent. It is only rest in God's presence and grace that will make you a joyful and patient parent. Romans 28, 18 through 20, these are Jesus' very last words to his disciples. It's called the Great Commission. And uh, you're thinking, this is a parenting verse? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is, the, this is our first calling, is to help our kids to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Your kids becoming fully devoted followers of Christ is more important than how well they do in schools, sports, arts, or anything else. In fact, their whole eternity is hanging in the balance. So listen to the seriousness of these words. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow, that's Jesus. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Okay, okay, how do we do that? What is a disciple? Follower of Christ. How do we do that? He gives us two ways that this happens. The first one is conversion. Conversion in... um, He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That would be conversion. So so yeah, they they confess faith in Christ. They give their lives to him. They make it public through water baptism. That's the first thing. And, And by the way, it's more than that. It doesn't stop there. Just because they said the prayer, they got dunked in the tank, there's more to it. He goes on. He says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you Stop there just for a minute. So conversion and then helping them to have their lives conformed more and more by God's word and the reality of who God is in their life. So they're converted, regeneration, justification, but also sanctification. That's full devotion to Christ. Oh, but I love this last part because that's, that's an overwhelming task for any of us, for all of us, as we pass on our faith to the next Generation, But listen to what he says. But behold, and behold, and behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you hear those words? I am with you. This is the God of the galaxy saying, and behold, think about this. Reflect on this. Let this go down deep into your heart. I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The, the greatest, it's the most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. The most frequent, the most frequent promise in the Bible is right here. The most frequent promise in the Bible, I am with you. I am with you. Most frequent promise in the Bible, I am with you. That's why I said, I love his presence. That's the best thing about the Christian life is that by grace through faith in Christ, I have his presence I have access into the throne room of God. I can know the living God. He walks with me. He he loves me. Nothing can ever separate me from his love, Romans 8. Hebrews uh, 13 says, he says this to me. He says this to you. I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you or forsake you. Psalm 84, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 16, that 
uh, it talks about in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. His presence. What are you struggling with? What's overwhelming to you? You have his presence. You have intimacy with him, and he will give you that biblical worldview that you can begin to respond appropriately. It's not what happens to us. It's not our circumstances. It's what happens in us, our character that either makes or breaks us in life. That's, that's big. That's important. So if you, if you face the reality of what your children need and how you struggle as a parent, but forget the incalculable glory and grace of God who sent you and is with you, you'll be overwhelmed. If you're overwhelmed right now just by life, because you're forgetting his presence. You're forgetting about that. So come back, come back. Enjoy him, know him, experience him. He'll never leave you or forsake you. By the way, it's not based on your performance, it's based on the performance of Christ. That can't be undone. It's yours. By grace, favor, unmerited favor, you can't earn it. By grace through faith in Christ. So the best thing you can do for your children is not something you do with them or for them, but to rest in the one who has sent you. And by the way, if you have adult children who are not living for the Lord, the best thing you can show them is that God is more satisfying than anything in life, and not even their waywardness can take that away from you. Does that make sense? In fact, they need to see in you this deep, robust, unshakable, satisfying delight in God. And you feel bad for him. You want the best for him. But that's not going to wreck your day because you have him. Because you love him and he, he loves you. It's not your weakness that you should fear, but your delusions of strength. That's what keeps us from really experiencing all that God has for us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And so God will expose your weakness so that you will run to him and find rest in his presence, his power, his peace, and his provision. Success is about faithfulness, not results. God doesn't hold you responsible for the product. He holds you responsible for the process. He's responsible for the product. Just be faithful. So success is about faithfulness, not results. I'll never forget this. Nancy and I, our kids, we had two in diapers, three in car seats. It took us forever to get them into the car to, to just to go to church. So my heart goes out to you for those of you that it just, it takes forever to get all your, all your kids in the car and get them here. And, and uh, so it just, oh, it, it was just one of those weekends, one of those days, one of those Sundays, it was just total turmoil. And so we get them in the car, Nancy and I are just like sweating profusely, we're looking at each other, we're driving to church, you know. I look over at her and I go, man, I'll be glad when things get back to normal. She looks at me, she goes, normal? This is normal, dude. <laughs> This blood, sweat, and tears we're experiencing, this is part of parenting. And I do this every day when you're at work. <laughs> you're a little snarky there. What's going on? Let's talk about this a little bit more. No, and, I, I, and so it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's overwhelming. And that's meant, when life is overwhelming, don't, Get down on yourself, just run into his arms. That's what it's meant for. It is, and it will be. You run into his arms. That's, that's all part of it. Run into his arms and experience all that he has for you. I'll never forget this. Our, our natty girl, who's now uh, 33, but when she was three years old, man, she was one strong-willed child. 
oh my goodness, and we, we had a number of these days, but one day in particular that stands out is that she would hop on her little big wheel, and where we lived at the time, there was this corner, and we, the kids would go out and ride their bikes out on the sidewalks, but she wanted to ride her little big wheel right out in the middle of the street. And it was scary because people would come around the corner really fast at high speed, and we're thinking, oh my goodness, I had these nightmares of her you know, getting run over and drugged down the street in that big wheel, and so she would just, and if she could have, if she understood what it meant to give a person a middle finger, that's what she was doing to us, okay? <laughs> She's like flipping us off and saying, you're not gonna get the best of me, I'm gonna get the best of you, and nobody's gonna tell me where I'm gonna ride my big wheel, I'm gonna ride it out in the middle of the street, whether you guys like it or not, and she would head out there, and we, I don't know how many times we disciplined her and brought her back, and, and it was just over and over, it just about wore us out, and, and we had to keep coming back to this idea that God will expose your weakness so that you will run to him and find rest in his presence, power, peace, and provision. Oh God, we need your help. And, uh, and as we kind of worked through that and it was hard and, and she was the one too, it was interesting that when she would be disciplined and there was a time when she was being disciplined and she was so mad at her mom that if, if she could have, if she had some cuss words, she would have used them, but she couldn't come up with any good cuss words because she hadn't been around people that had cussed, so she came up with her own, and, and there was a time when she got mad at mom, she goes, you, 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 you poopy diaper. <laughs> That's all she could come up with. And so mom disciplines her because of her attitude, and then the next time she gets angry, she doesn't use poopy diaper because she got disciplined for that one. So the next time she goes, you, you, you pumpkin head. And so I think mom laughed so hard she couldn't even do anything about it after that. <laughs> but what we were trying to do is shape her heart without breaking her spirit. We wanted to shape her heart without breaking her spirit. Her stubbornness was a good thing, but it was just misguided. It was a good thing, but we needed to guide it appropriately. Natalie now, 33 years old, I mean, this, this story has a good ending, actually. She's 33 years old, loves the Lord, has her master's degree, works for the Arizona School of the Deaf and Blind in Tucson. So it's, it's kind of amazing, you know, what God can do. But boy, those were some really, really rough days. Number 15, no parent gives mercy better than one who is convinced that he desperately needs it himself. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. Did you guys get to fill in the blanks there? Mercy needs it, so no parent gives mercy better than one who is convinced that he desperately needs it himself. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, let's read these verses together and aloud. Here we go, nice and loud, we're almost finished up. One, two, three. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Those are powerful verses that our high priest, who's our high priest? Jesus. Jesus, yep, Jesus. He can sympathize with our weaknesses and he knows our pain, he knows our struggle. Whatever you are going through, God has gone through it and understands. He knows, he cares, he rules. And I love the, the end of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace creator of the universe, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So mercy is tenderness, understanding, compassion, love, and help. 
So encourage your children to seek God's help by showing them how you seek God's help too. And, and root all of your, all that you require, say, and do, root it all in the wonderful wisdom of Scripture and saturate your home with prayer. Pray for your kids, pray with your kids, teach your kids how to pray, teach them how to, to connect with God. Let me end with a story here that I think that helps us to understand this idea of mercy it's called Treasure by Mistake, a bizarre true story about a man awakened in the middle of the night by a phone call. He was groggy, and this was before caller ID. The girl on the other end was weeping. Daddy, she said, I'm pregnant. Though stunned beyond belief, he forgave her and prayed with her. The next day, he and his wife wrote her two letters of counsel and love. The man prayed God would take him back to the time before the agony began. Three days later, the man received another phone call. His daughter was shocked by the letters. She was not the one who had called earlier. And the man was convinced the call was not a prank. Apparently, some other girl had dialed a wrong number. Despite the tragic wrong number, she agrees the letters were not wasted. These letters are my treasure, she says. Real love letters written by a godly father who never imagined he would have to write them to his own daughter. And here are just a few excerpts. Gives us a little bit of the, the Father heart of God for us. Really beautiful. Part of me seemed to die last night, not because of what it seems, what it means to me as much as what it means to you. You were free to make all kinds of choices. Now you are shut up to a few and none of them to your liking. But God will see you in us through Though I weep inside, I can't condemn you because I sin too. Your transgression here is no worse than mine. It's just different. The New Testament tells me I can't take forgiveness myself and withhold it from others. We think of sin as acts, but sin is a package, an attitude that expresses itself in different ways and to different degrees. But it all comes from the same sin package you inherited through us, Christ is the only difference. God forgives this sin as well as others, really forgives and cleanses. Satan has no doubt tried to tell you that this affects your standing before God. It doesn't, but it will affect your relationship till you bring the whole matter to him. There will be a coolness, a separation, an estrangement until you open the problem by confessing and asking forgiveness. We're praying much. We love you more than I can say and respect you too, as always. Saturday, I was very downcast. I tried to sing as I worked outside, and then increasingly, I seemed to see a calm and loving face I knew was Jesus. It was no vision. I didn't see details, but it was a strong reminder that he is with us and waiting for us to remember this. He loves us and will help us through, especially you. It's great to know Jesus is walking with you. While we can't say that God causes failures, he does permit them, and I think it's clear he uses them to build character and beauty that we'd never have without them. Remember, 
God's love is in even this, maybe especially in this. We're glad that in a measure, at least, we can help the daughter we love so much. This is a day of testing, but hold our ground. We must. God will give us the victory. That's wonderful. We're looking forward to your being at home, love, Dad. No parent gives mercy better than one who is convinced that he desperately needs it himself. Let's pray. So Father God, help us to always remember that it's not what happens to us, it's not our circumstances, but what happens in us, our character that either makes us or breaks us in life. May your amazing grace transform both our hearts and the hearts of our kids and produce godly character and intimacy with you and a biblical worldview that can face anything in life for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys.